let us help you reach your peak in retirement. It's time for Retirement Elevated with Sean Lee. Hey, everybody. Welcome into another edition of Retirement Elevated. Thanks for tuning into the podcast with Sean and myself as we talk investing, finance, and retirement. We're about a week out from Thanksgiving. What's going on, my friend? How you doing? Uh, just preparing for the holidays. I'm yeah. doing well. Yeah. Are you a Thanksgiving guy? I love Thanksgiving. Yeah. I mean, we, I mean, it's the last couple of years have been a little weird, right? But, well, sure. But um, it's my favorite should. holiday, though, I think, for me personally. Uh, see, I'm a 4th of July guy. Okay. Like, that's my birthday's in July, but, you know, I, I'm a, if you saw our offices, I've mm-hmm. got American flags of all different types all over the place, super patriotic. And nice. That's a, that's the holiday. Like, I, I order in advance a whole bunch of that yard paint and we throw a, a big like 20 foot long American flag. Oh, wow. Grass That's awesome. And just paint it in. And yeah, man. But no, we're, we, I enjoy it. I mean, this time of year it's cold outside, so we don't do much, but we, we are getting the family back together again. Yeah. And so it'll be good. Well, I think that's kind of where it's kind of gone for, for me through the years. Now, Hey, I love the food. My, my mom, mother was a fantastic cook growing up. My wife is now. Uh, so that's, you know, like one of my favorite things is, is the eating. <laughs> which oh, yeah. Everybody enjoys. But I think unlike Christmas, like Christmas is cool when you've got little ones. And yep. when you are a little one, when you've got little ones, or maybe when you have grandkids, but I don't have grandkids yet. So I don't know that uh, that quite that feeling yet. But I think Christmas sometimes gets too pressury, too stressful, mm-hmm. you know? So I think that's why Thanksgiving kind of slides in there as uh as the winner for me because you got family around and all that good kind of stuff, but it's not like the pressure of, Oh, did I get the right thing or, you know, so on and so forth. So that's kind of, kind of my uh, philosophy breakdown on Thanksgiving. But anyway, I hope that everybody enjoys theirs coming up. And this week on the podcast or this go around, we're going to talk about financial half truths. Uh, we hear a lot of these. I got some statements for you, Sean, that are pretty standard statements that people will hear or say in the financial world. And I don't think they're being said necessarily to be misleading. This just doesn't tell the whole story, right? So right. you kind of have to extrapolate out a little bit more uh, of some of these nuggets, if you will, to kind of get people to realize that, okay, it's yes, that's true, but maybe not exactly for your scenario like this, for example. Right. Don't worry about those losses because the market always comes back up in the long run. Well, it's true. If you go back and look at 100 years worth of data on a chart, you know, like of the market, it's basically always going up. When you zoom in, you start to see the ups and the downs and the ups and the downs. But by and large, it does typically always come back. It always goes up. So that's kind of truth. So what makes it a half truth? Well, I mean, looking at this, if you're 30 years old and you go through a market correction, fine. You know, no, no big deal. And, and what <laughs> actually like, so what I'm a math guy, I love analytics and there's this principle called the commutative principle of mathematics. And it, it sounds super nerdy, but I'll, I'll break it down for you. What that principle means is that I can take returns from 2000 to 2021, right? I could take it those negative years and those up years and I could run returns on a portfolio and then I could take the returns in reverse and I could go from 2021 up to 2000, right? So I just flip the returns on their head and I, I run them. And what that commutative principle of mathematics says is that it doesn't matter the sequence of returns that I get. I will have the exact same outcome if I go from 2021 or 21 backwards to 2000. Now, that's the truth of it. You know, it doesn't matter about where you get the losses and where you get the, the gains as long as they, they come. 
However, the issue that arises is when you're starting to withdraw money from those accounts. Now the sequence of returns does matter. Now losses in your portfolio, if you're withdrawing from your portfolio, Mm -hmm. it does matter. Uh, because if you get losses early on, it will have a long-standing effect on your portfolio if you're withdrawing out, because now you're you have to sell off more shares or do whatever to get that same level of income, and it's almost irreparable once you go through that if you don't have a withdrawal strategy put in place. Well, think about it this way: we'll break it down a little bit further. So, if Sean, if somebody retired in 2010, mm-hmm. um, they're probably in pretty good shape. Right, so if, oh, yeah. you know, if they've got some investments for the last ten years, they've been rocking and rolling over the. But if you retired, the same guy's friend or gal's friend retired in two thousand and seven, not so much, right? Or, because they or had three 2000. years. Yeah. yeah, they had three years of getting you know hammered on, right? You know, yeah. uh, of the uh, economic downturn there, and so early on, you know, that probably would have cost them a lot more in those early stages of retirement. So timing, and that's where the whole "don't worry about it." It comes back. In the long run, is true, but what is your long run? Your long run may not be there anymore. Your time right. is not the same. The market's going to always do what it's going to do over the next hundred years. Uh, you don't have that long. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so long and a short of it, right? All right. So uh, the fees in your portfolio are less than one percent. Well, one percent, whatever the number is, we typically hear that. Often that's true, but the half truth comes into place where they're thinking about what their guy or gal told them. Well, my guy or gal charges me one percent, Sean, so that's all I pay. And I get this question a lot. Well, what's your fees? I'm paying less than one percent. Okay. Well, let's Take let's talk about that. <laughs> like, let's let's get down to the brass tacks of it. And and what is that fee for? You know, is that the advisory fee? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, now let's let's break it down even further. What sort of investments do you have? Because the advisory fee is one thing, but just because you're paying an advisory fee doesn't mean that you're getting, yeah. you know, the funds or whatever that your that your advisor is using. Those aren't free. I got some target date funds. Well, yeah, guess what? you're paying more than one percent. You're paying more than one percent. But now, when we start to look at a layering of fees, if you look at mutual funds, just mutual funds, for example, if your advisor has fun, you're using mutual funds. Great. Then you've got mutual fund expense ratios. Mm-hmm. You've got cost of turnover, you've got all those other, you know, tax costs, tax drag, you know, some of those other things that those are all costs that you're paying. The advisor's not paying those costs of the funds themselves, but they, you're disclosed, hey, here's the advisory fee at 1%, you know, so you got to be really careful about what's, what's out there from a fee perspective, that if you're paying an advisory fee, but you also have mutual funds in your portfolio, there's a good chance that you're paying way more than 1%. You think about like your cell phone bill, right? So, you know, Verizon or Sprint or AT&T, they offer and they say $99, right? It's $99 for your monthly. That's what your monthly thing is. Well, you know that's not true because you're going to have taxes, right? But then when you go to look at the taxes or the different fees, there's like the state tax, the local, the federal tax. Sometimes there's a county tax. Then there's things like 911 surcharges and so on and so. There's all these little, you know, tiny little things that start to add up. Same kind of thing within different investments and stuff. There can be a lot of little fees that uh, are just not line itemed as well and easy to find. So that's another, again, kind of half truth. Right. Uh, when you're thinking about that. Uh, let me jump to this next one. I'm going to skip down to, to four, actually, on the list. We'll come back around if we've got time. Diversification being the key. That's the that's a big selling point. It's a big standard thing that the industry has been saying for years and years and years. So think about it like a, 
like a set of keys on a key ring, right? So, or go old school, Sean, like an old old house that has a skeleton key, right? That unlocks everything, like one of those master keys. Right. So, is diversification that, or is it just a key on the key ring? Like it's an important key, but maybe it's not like the ultimate. Like this, as long as you're diversified, you're groovy. Yeah, diversification is a piece. Right? So, if you if you're starting to look at how you're building your plan and and how you're you're creating your structure in your plan. A diversification is just a component of that. It's an important it, one, absolutely. But yeah, and yeah. I think people misunderstand what diversification actually is in a lot of instances. That diversification is not asset allocation. When we look at asset allocation, asset allocation is three different asset classes, right? So you got cash and savings, you've got income, and you've got equities. Okay. Diver- what diversification is, if I just look at equities alone, and that's stocks, uh, stock mutual funds, ETFs, real estate, gold and silver, diversification is diversifying through equities you know, or one asset class. So that's, I'm going to diversify in the markets in large, medium, small companies, maybe some internationals, some gold and silver, whatever it may be, but I'm diversifying through that asset class alone. So that's that's diversification. Asset allocation now is incorporating all three asset classes and then diversifying through each asset class to build a plan that's customized to what the needs are. So if I need income or if I need to create cash flow or if I need, you know, whatever it is, I'm going to be creating an asset allocation strategy that's diversified through those three asset classes. And when you do that, now you've got a, a full, complete plan. And I think that's where people really miss the boat. They're, oh, I'm diversified through all of these different stocks. Well, yeah, that's not right. a plan. No. Right? So. Yeah, we've definitely talked about that before where it's like that is, they're all the same type of thing. So if the, if the market has a huge downfall, if it goes like last March, it goes down 35%, well, then every stock you have more than likely is going to go down. If it's across the board, it's going to go down as well versus yeah. being... You know, well, I've got seven mutual funds, so I'm diversified. New, same kind of thing, right? Versus, like you said, having some large caps, some small cap, uh, some you know, emerging markets, so on and so forth, some other types of things to, to ebb and flow. So it's important. Yeah. It's an important key. It's just not like the master key. No. Or the skeleton key. Skeleton keys were cool. Remember those? They're like old oh, yeah. houses and stuff. Those things are really neat. I ain't getting anywhere. Yeah, no, they're great. And they're kind of creepy too, but they're really cool. <laughs> uh, all right, let's do one more here. Bonds significantly reduce the risk in a portfolio. Very tried and true-ism, uh, but is it a financial half-truth, especially nowadays? Sure. I mean, where are interest rates right now? Zero? <laughs> Zippy? Um, yeah, I mean, could bonds reduce the risk in your portfolio? Yeah. In theory, right? I mean, and it's... Again, by the large, they kind of do, but they, they're not without risk. Until the government starts to raise rates. <laughs> you know, I mean, then then bonds tend to have a recycle period where they take losses, whether it's a fund or, or whatever it may mm-hmm. be. Right. You know, interest rates go up. You can't, if you have individual bonds, you have to sell those at a discount. So there there is risk uh, attached to them. But historically, yes, bonds have been that hedge against market corrections when we look at the whole truth right now, it's, it's all based on the current economic climate as well with, you know, Hey, if we've got, you know, the feds deciding to raise rates next year and they incrementally do that, you're going to see some exposure to the bond market. It's just uh, the nature of the beast. And so, yes, they do insulate you from the downside. They reduce your risk, but 
no, you're not, it's not like you're putting money in a savings account. There is still some exposure there potentially if rates start to increase. Yeah. And if you've got, you know, a bond or it's something at a really low rate or really, you know, it's not paying very well, 1%, let's say, and they raise it back up to three or whatever. And somebody mm-hmm. comes along and buys the three. Well, and you want to offload your one. Well, guess what's going to happen, right? Not, not that great. So you're, you got to sell it at a discount. You got to sell it at a discount, right? Because who wants it? Because they can yeah. buy one a new one at three. So exactly, yeah. So that has some risk. Uh, it has. It's typically one of those things you think about a traditional sixty forty split or whatever. And as we get closer to retirement, that used to be the saying: "We'll shift to bonds. It's a little bit safer." But things have changed so much that that's why it's important to get a good plan and a strategy put in place because everything is a little bit wonkier than it used to be, and it can still get mm-hmm. get done. You just have to really work with someone who understands the ins and outs of this stuff. And so that's why we do the podcast, hopefully to share a couple of nuggets of information along the way. If you need some help, reach out to Sean and the team at Elevated Retirement Group. You can find them online at elevatemyretirement.com. That's elevatemyretirement.com. You might have gotten this through a newsletter or an email blast or something like that. If you haven't subscribed to the show, you know, definitely consider doing so. Apple, Google, Spotify, whatever platform you like to use, just hit the heart button on whatever platform it is and you'll be subscribed and you can catch new episodes when they come out as well as check out past episodes. And of course, as always, if you need some help, got some questions, reach out to a professional before you take any action. 855-50-RETIRE. It's 855-50-RETIRE. Sean, thanks for hanging out with me, buddy. I hope you have a good holiday, and I will see you in December. Thanks, man. Don't eat too much. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. I'm going for it. <laughs> right, we'll see you next time here on Retirement Elevated with Sean Lee, Managing Partner at Elevated Retirement Group. Investment advisory services offered through Elevated Capital Advisors, LLC, and SEC Registered Investment Advisors.